Four men of a 400,000 member platform on the dark net called Boys Town, which is a child sex uh, abuse ring. It's just insane, man. 400,000 of these motherfuckers out here, man. What the fuck? I say kill them all. Sorry about that. I get a little adamant when it comes to that subject. Our next story comes to us out of Atlanta. Uh, Atlanta Airport Customs and Border Patrol. They um, stop a 21-year-old female. They take her back. They want to talk to her for a minute. They discover $40,000 worth of cocaine and seven pairs of, like, high-heel shoes and shit she had. Who are you? Are you stupid, lady? She brought it back from Jamaica. Now she's looking at, they said state charges, but to me, I'm going to assume they're going to charge her federally because she brought it from Jamaica, from another country, so that's internationally, internationally drug smuggling. That's a federal crime. She's probably going to get some time in federal prison, but she'll probably tell, so she probably won't get as much time. Hi guys, so in Houston, we're going to jump to Houston, Texas. Houston police get a phone call. Person says that they paid $11,000 to have their relative uh, smuggled into the United States. So Houston police respond and they hit this house in suburban Houston, two-story house. To get a warrant, they go in the house, 97 people huddled in two rooms with locks on, deadbolt locks on the outside the door so they couldn't get out. Hadn't eaten or have had anything to drink in several days. No one seriously injured, but all of them being migrants. They have uh, caught five people related to this. One woman and four men, all under the age of 32. They're all being held in federal custody. Um, and they're trying to figure out what to do with these 97 migrants. You know, how much of this goes on in our country? How, is there other houses like this? Is there houses with with missing children in them? Like, can we go house to house across America and find out does somebody have somebody strapped up down in the basement? That's real. That's scary. Okay, in other news, two Asian women are stabbed at a San Francisco bus stop one in her 60s, one in her 80s by a man with a military knife with knuckles on it. The suspect didn't run away, he walked away. That's pretty brazen to do in broad daylight in San Francisco. Craziness. In New York, an Asian woman is, sta- or is, is hit with a hammer by a stranger. What is going on with this Asian hate crimes? Is it over COVID? Is it over this rocket orbiting the earth that is about to disintegrate and a couple pieces are going to fall down here what is this about I'm going to look into it guys I think it's because of COVID though and in some other news Trump's ban on Facebook is extended pending review so Donald Trump won't be on Facebook for a while which is a good thing or a bad thing depends on how you view Trump um, Trump started his own platform, though, so if you want to view him on that, you can check him out there. Check out old Donald. Other news, Bill and Melinda Gates are divorcing. Woohoo! Who gives a fuck? Now, in some news that may be important to you, if you have a Peloton, 
they're recalling them. There's been several injuries and a toddler's death. So if you are interested in getting a Peloton, don't do it. They're being recalled. The night before his execution, Bunny confessed to 30 homicides, but the true total remains unknown. Published estimates have run as high as 100 or more, and Bunny occasionally made cryptic comments to encourage that speculation. He told Hugh Ainsworth in 1980 that for every murder publicized, there could be one that was not. When FBI agents proposed a total tally of 36, Bundy responded, add one to that digit and you'll have it. Years later, he told an attorney, Polly Nelson, that the common estimate of 35 was accurate. But Robert Kempel, who wrote, Ted and I both knew the total was much higher. I don't think even he knew how many he killed or why he killed them, said Reverend Fred Lawrence, the Methodist clergyman who administered Bundy's last rites. That was my impression, my strong impression, he said. On the evening before his execution, Bundy reviewed his victim tally with Bill Hagmeyer on a state-by-state -state basis for a total of 30 homicides. In Washington, 11. In Utah, 8. Colorado, 3. Florida, 3. Oregon, 2. Idaho, 2. California, 1. The following is the chronological summary of the 20 identified victims and the five identified survivors. January 4th, 1974. Karen Sparks, bludgeoned and sexually assaulted in her bed as she slept. She survived. She's permanently brain damaged. Her friends found her later that afternoon in her room, bleeding. February 1st, 1974. Oregon, Washington, Oregon. Linda Ann Healy, bludgeoned while asleep, abducted, her skull and mandible recovered at Taylor Mountain site. So he would abduct these women. He, he decapitated 12 of them, and he'd take them and he'd rape them after they were dead. March 12, 1974, Washington, Oregon. Donna Gail Manson, abducted while walking to a concert at the Evergreen State College. Her body left the Taylor Mountain site, but never found. April 17, 1974, Washington, Oregon. Susan Elaine Raincourt disappeared after attending an evening, evening advisors meeting at Central Washington State College. Skull and Mandible recovered at Taylor Mountain site in 1975. May 6, 1974, Washington, Oregon. Roberta Kathleen Parks vanished from Oregon State University in Corvallis, Skull and Mandible recovered at Taylor Mountain site in 1975. Brenda Carol Ball disappeared after leaving a, the Flame Tavern in Berrien. Skull and Mandible recovered at the Taylor site, Taylor Mountain site, 1975. Georgian Hawkins abducted from an alley behind her sorority house. Skeletal remains identified by Bundy as those of Hawkins recovered at Issa Q State at the Issa Q site. Janice Ann Ott, July 14th, 1975, 1974, Washington, Oregon, abducted from Lake Samish State Park in broad daylight. Skeletal remains find it, found at Issa site in 1975. July 14th, the same day, Denise Marie Naslin, abducted four hours after Ott from the same park. Skeletal remains recovered at Issaquah 
site in 1975. Then in Utah on October 7th, a second Nancy Wilcox ambushed, assaulted, and strangled in Holiday, Utah. Body buried near Capitol Reef National Park, 200 miles south of Salt Lake City, but never found. October 18, 1974, Utah. Melissa Ann Smith vanished from Midvale, Utah. Body found nine days later in nearby mountainous area. Laura Ann Aim, October 31, 1974, disappeared from Lehigh, Utah, bludgeoned and raped, discovered by hikers in American Fork Canyon. November 8th, Carol DeRanche, attempted abduction in Murray, Utah, escaped from Bundy's car and survived. November 8th, Deborah Jean Kent, banished after leaving a school play in Bountiville, Utah. Body left near Fairview, Utah, 100 miles south of Bountiful, Minimum skeletal remains, one patella found, were eventually 2015 positively identified as Kent. Utah, Colorado, and Idaho, 1975. January 12th, Karen Eline Campbell, 23, disappeared from a hotel hallway in Snowmass, Colorado. Body discovered 36 days later on a dirt road near the hotel. March 15th, 1975, Julie Cunningham. 26, disappeared disappeared on the way to a tavern in Vail, Colorado. Body buried near Rifle, 90 miles away. 90 miles west of Vail, I'm sorry, but never found. April 6, 1975, Denise Lynn Alverson abducted while cycling to her partner's house in Grand Junction, Colorado. Body thrown in the Colorado River, west of Grand Junction. Body never found. May 6th. Bennett Dawn Culver, 12 years old, abducted from Alameda Junior High School in Postella, Idaho, body thrown into what authorities believe the Snake River, but never found. June 28th, Susan Curtis, 15, disappeared during a youth conference at Brigham Young University, buried, body buried near Price, Utah, 75 miles southwest a probable, but never found. 1978, Florida, January 15th, Margaret Elizabeth Bowman, 21, bludgeoned and strangled as she slept. Chi Omega Sorority, Florida State University. January 15th, Lisa Levy, 20, bludgeoned, strangled, and sexually assaulted as she slept. Chi Omega Sorority, Florida State University. January 15th, Karen Chandler, Bludgeoned as she slept, Chi Omega Sorority, FSU University. January 15th, Kathy Kleiner, bludgeoned as she slept, Chi Omega Sorority, F Florida State University, survived. So did Chandler, Chandler survived. Cheryl Thomas, bludgeoned as she slept, eight blocks from Chi Omega, survived. February 9th, Kimberly Diane Leach, 12, abducted from a junior high school in Lake City, Florida, Mummified remains found near Swanee River State Park, 43 miles west of Salt Lake City. Now here are some possible victims. Bundy remains a suspect in several unsolved homicides and is likely responsible for others that may never be identified. In 1987, he confessed or he confided to Kempel that there were some murders that he would never talk about because they were committed 
too close to home, too close to family, or involved victims that were too young. Angela Marie Burr, age 8, vanished from her Tacoma home August 31, 1961, when Bundy was 14, an unknown tennis player, tennis shoe imprint was found by the overturned bench used to enter the house. Due to the small size of the shoe, police believe the perpetrator must have been a teenager or a youth. The Burr house was on Bundy's new paper delivery route. The victim's father was certain he saw Bundy in the ditch at a construction site on the nearby University of Puget Sound campus the morning of his daughter's disappearance. Other circumstantial evidence implicates him as well, but detectives familiar with the case have never agreed on the likelihood of his involvement. Bunny repeatedly denied the culpability and wrote a letter, denial to the Burrow family, to the Burr family in 1996, but Keppel has observed that Burr fits all three of Bundy's no-discussion categories of too close to home, too close to family, and very young. Forensics, testing, evidence from the Burr crime scene in 2011 yielded insufficient intact DNA sequences for comparison with Bundy. Flight attendant Lisa E. Wick and Lonnie Ree Trumbull, both 20, were bludgeoned with a piece of lumber as they slept in their basement apartment in Seattle, Queens Anne District of 20, on the, June 23, 1966, near the Safeway store where Bundy worked at the time. And they were women regularly shopped. Trumbull died in retrospect. Kemple noticed many similarities on the Kyle Mega crime scene. Rick, who suffered permanent memory loss as a result of the attack, later contacted Ann Rule. I know that it was Bundy who did that to us, she wrote, but I can't tell you how I know. In the absence of incriminating evidence, Bundy's involvement remains speculative. Vacationing front college friend Susan Margaret Davis and Elizabeth Perry, both 19, were stabbed to death on May 30, 1969. The car, their car was found that day abandoned beside the Garden State Parkway outside Summers Point, New Jersey, near Atlantic City, 60 miles in southwest of Philadelphia, and their bodies were nude, one fully clothed, I'm sorry, one nude, one fully clothed, were found in nearby woods three days later. Bundy attended Temple University from January through May 1969 and apparently did not move west until Memorial Weekend. While Bundy's accounts of his earliest crimes buried considerable inter between interviews, he told forensic psychologist Art Norman that his murder victims were two women in Philadelphia area. Biographer Richard Larson believed that Bundy committed the murders using a feigned injury ruse based on an investigator's interview with Julia Bundy's aunt, Ted, she said, was wearing a leg casting due to an automobile accident on the weekend of the homicides, and therefore it could not have traveled from Philadelphia to New Jersey or to the Jersey Shore. There is no official record of such incident, such an accident. Bundy is considered a strong suspect, but the case remains open. Rita Patricia Curran, age 24, elementary school teacher. Joyce LePage, 21, was last seen July 22, 1971, on the campus of Washington State University. Rita Lorraine Jolly, 17, disappeared from Westland, Oregon, on, Jan on June 29, 1973. Vicki Lean Holler, 24, disappeared from Eugene, Oregon, on August 20, 1973. Bundy confessed to two homicides in Oregon, identifying the victims. Oregon detectives suspected they were Jolly and Holler. Catherine Marie Devine, 14, was abducted November 25, 1973, and her body was found the next month at the Capitol State Forest near Olympia, Washington. 
Brenda Joy Baker, 14, was seen hitchhiking near Pilup, Washington. On May 27, 1974, her body was found in Millersvania State Park a month later. Though Bundy was widely believed responsible for both murders, he told Keppel that he had no knowledge of either case. DNA analysis led to the arrest and conviction of William E. Corsden for Devine's murder in 2012. The Baker homicide remains unsolved. Sandra Jean Weaver, 19, a Wisconsin native who had been living in Tacola, Utah, was last seen in Salt Lake City on July 1st, 1974. Her new body was discovered the following day near Grand Junction, Colorado. Sources conflict conflict with on whether Bundy mentioned Weaver's name during the death row interviews. Her murder remains unsolved. Melanie Susan Susie Cooley, 18, disappeared April 15, 1975, after leaving Netherland High School in Netherland, Colorado, 50 miles northwest of Denver. Her bludgeon and strangled corpse was discovered by by road maintenance workers two weeks later in Coal Creek Canyon, 20 miles away. Shelly K. Robinson, 24, failed to show up for work in Golden, Colorado on July 1st, 1975. Her new de- decomposed body was found August in August, 500 feet inside a mine on Berthold Pass near Winter Park Resort by two mining students. Nancy Perry Bard, 23, disappeared from the service station where she worked in Layton, Utah, 25 miles north of Salt Lake City on July 4, 1975, and remains classified a missing person. Bundy specifically denied involvement in this case during the death row interviews. Debbie Smith, 17, last seen in Salt Lake City, early February 1976, shortly before the Ranch trial began. Her body was found near Salt Lake City International Airport on April 1, 1976. Though listed as a Bundy victim by some sources, her murder remains officially unsolved. Minutes before his execution, Hagmeyer queried Bundy about unsolved homicides in New Jersey, Illinois, and Vermont, Texas, Miami, Florida. Bundy provided direction, later proving inaccurate to Susan Curtis's burial site in Utah, but denied involvement in any other cases. In 2011, Bundy's complete DNA profile obtained a vial of, of his blood found and an evidence vault was added to the FBI's database for future references in these unsolved murders. Hey guys, if you haven't heard about Anchor, let me tell you about Anchor. It's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your own phone or computer. I do my podcast on Anchor because Anchor gives me the tools I need to do my podcast. It's free, and Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Get started today, guys. Anchor is the way to go. So she's finally ready to talk about her terrifying ride with a man named Ted. When he said, don't even go there, you're never getting out of here, I knew that that was, that was my life flashing in front of me. 
It has been 46 years since Otria Critzonis last journeyed down this stretch of road. It sure has changed a lot of the buildings. But the memories of a snowy Seattle day in 1972 are clear and haunting. He was dressed real nice and, you know, his hair was kind of wavy and he had dark eyes. Handsome looking. It was in this area. This, this has all been changed. It was right here. So Tria was 22 and says she'd waited nearly an hour for a city bus to take her to classes in Renton. Car pulled up to the curb, rolled down the window and said, hello, young lady, are you waiting for the bus? He goes, well, you know, I've come down Rainer Avenue and that's a long ways and there's not a bus in sight. Would you like a ride? In the 70s, in relatively safe Seattle, the handsome young man seemed more friendly than foreboding. So you hopped in this car, not thinking it was going to be a problem at all? No, I thought, how ha happy I am now. I'm in a warm car, and I get to get to where I'm going. As the Volkswagen bug took off down Rainier Avenue South, so Tria said it quickly became clear. This would be no ordinary ride, and this was no good Samaritan. It was Ted Bundy. Right about here, everything changed. He started, you know, reaching under the seat, started yelling at me, why did you take this ride? Why did you even think about taking this ride? You're never going to make it to the school. And I thought, wow. You were thinking about jumping out. Yes. Why didn't you? I couldn't. There was no handle. No handle on the door? No handle on the door at all, nope. So Tria would soon learn it might be hair, not heroics, that could save her life. Many young women did not escape Ted Bundy, and some of their bodies were dumped here in remote areas of Issaquah. Others have never been found. It's also a place investigators believe Bundy trolled for more victims. It was the summer of 74, and employees of Rainier Brewing Company were enjoying their annual company picnic at Lake Sammamish State Park. In evidence never seen by the public until now, this film reveals how a day of fun became fertile ground for Ted Bundy to target his next victims. His Volkswagen bug, seen here, offered a front row seat to watch women. That same day, in broad daylight, Bundy abducted Janice Ott and Denise Naslin from the park within four hours of each other. The Lake Sammamish cases where once he got them in the car, he would quickly hit them in the head with a tire iron or beat them with a tire iron. That was kind of his M.O. Film shows police on scene to investigate the women's disappearance with Bundy's car still in the background. The bodies of Ott and Naslin weren't found until two months later, dumped in a wooded area about two miles away. Or you're not going to go to your destination. Back in that VW bug. I was sobbing, praying, and, you know pleading for my life practically don't do anything don't harm me so tria says bundy was driving herself on i-5 toward tequila <laughs> she never taken this ride and shut the up she says bundy's beratement led to a bizarre demand he goes take your hat off and i said what do you mean take my hat off my stocking cap off what for i took my hat off and he saw that something was different about me and he goes why did you cut your hair? Why did I cut my hair? I keep thinking, did he stalk me? Did he see me somewhere? Was he waiting for me or was he watching me? He says, well, put that hat back on. And then he said, shut the f up. And yelling at me, you're never going to make it. He may have been involved in the rape murders of 36 women, all young and all with long brown hair. So Tria speculates the hair that she had cut a week earlier may have saved her life. He could have killed me. 
It was just thank God I had gotten my haircut. Somewhere was he waiting for me or was he watching? He says, Well, put that hat back on. And then he said, Shut the f up and yelling at me, you're never gonna make it. He may have been involved in the rape murders of 36 women, all young and all with long brown hair. So Tria speculates the hair that she had cut a week earlier may have saved her life. He could have killed me. It was just thank God I had gotten my hair cut that I probably wouldn't be talking to you today. An hour into her odyssey, <clears throat> so Tria says Bundy dropped her off in front of her school, shoving her to the ground and reminding her of just how lucky she was. Yeah, so I, I, that's when I realized I was a lucky lady. 1986. I'm Roger Mudd. And I'm Connie Chung. Ten years ago tomorrow, the Supreme Court of the United States reinstated the death penalty. And tomorrow, a man named Ted Bundy was going to die in Florida's electric chair. He's been granted a last-minute stay of execution, pending an appeal based on legal technicalities. Ted Bundy is not just another death row inmate. Convicted of three murders in Florida, suspected of a great many more in Washington State, Oregon, Utah, and Colorado. Ted Bundy became infamous to the people in those states partially because of the extreme brutality of his crimes and also because his trial was widely televised. The most shocking thing about Ted Bundy is what he is not. He's not a wild beast to look at or to hear. Not brutal seeming, not at first or even at second glance, a man to shun. And that is the horror. As Lucky Severson reports, Ted Bundy was possessed by evil, but he was possessed too of a fatal charm. This court has hereby imposed the death penalty upon Theodore Robert Bundy. What's a man like Ted Bundy doing in a place like this? Ted Bundy was a charmer. A charmer she was also. He was an enjoyable, likable, attractive person. He was um, thoughtful, charismatic, and overall, he was quite personable. Authorities in four states agree that Bundy was personable. They also agree that he was a savage killer. The defendant bludgeoned and pummeled her about the head. She had a ligature around her neck, which was a patty hose that strangled. As to count two, the indictment, while the victim was in her bed, was stripped of her night clothing, one nipple was incised and bit off. There was evidence of vaginal and anal trauma, and she was left in a pool of blood in her own bed. Ted Bundy had a talent for murder, for mutilations even more repulsive than those described by the judge. He was convicted of three murders, but is believed to be the killer of perhaps 40 women. No other man has ever been held responsible for killing so many college-age women. Bundy is 39, articulate, and in a bizarre way, thoughtful. Here at the Florida State Prison, he talked in detail about what goes through a killer's mind. And when he dies in the electric chair, he will have left behind not only a legacy of horror, but maybe also some clues to the heart and mind of a murderer. We're going to hear an interview with Ted Bundy right now um, from jail. Years ago in a jail in Glenwood Springs, Colorado, I talked with Ted Bundy shortly after he'd been convicted of kidnapping a young woman. He'd been sentenced only a few days earlier. His calm appearance was deceiving. I didn't show any emotion because... You know, what am I supposed to do? Am I going to jump up on the table? Am I going to scream? That's what I felt like doing. I heard my mother cry. 
uh, it's an emotional time. I don't even like to think of that day. But I wasn't going to give them the satisfaction of seeing me break down. Bundy has said he developed this kind of icy control over his emotions when he was a teenager in Tacoma, Washington, with a very low opinion of himself. I compensated for it by being seemingly aloof and arrogant and intellectual. You know, I always inside of me felt that people did not find me attractive or likable or, I mean, this is my own, own opinion of myself. One classmate remembers Ted as a bit of a prude who used the word embrace for making love. Years later, politics brought Bundy out of his shell. Richard Larson was a Seattle political reporter who became Bundy's friend. When he stepped into the world of politics with the physical capabilities that he had, the mental capabilities, he encountered a diverse group of professional people, a fairly glittering group, really, and a group that welcomed him. I mean, as a socialite came with it, you, you, were, you were accepted, you know, you went out to dinner with people, and they invited you to dinner, this is the way they were, and you, they took you to drinks, and, and there I was, a, a life that uh, had been missing for me. And there he was, an operative for the Republican gubernatorial candidate, pleasant and sophisticated, even when he was accused of political spying. It's, it's hard for me to believe that what I did is newsworthy, and my part in the campaign was so insignificant, I'm embarrassed that I should be getting this publicity from it, uh, really embarrassed. <laughs> Bundy earned a degree in psychology. Um, he went to law school and had a girlfriend named Diana, and Diana was rich and pretty, and Ted was poor and insecure. And Diana ended up breaking it off with him. And if you look, all Ted's Bundy's victims resemble Diana. Accused of political spying. It's, it's hard for me to believe that what I did is newsworthy. And my part in the campaign was so insignificant, I'm embarrassed that I should be getting this publicity from it. Uh, really embarrassed. <laughs> Bundy's years in the Pacific Northwest were busy ones. He earned a degree in psychology, entered law school, and worked in mental health and law enforcement. By all appearances, he was on the road to success. In 1974, police began investigating crimes involving women, mostly college students. Nearly every month in and around Seattle, a young woman was murdered or disappeared. Lake Sammamish State Park, on the day these scenes were filmed, someone calling himself Ted asked several young women individually to help load a canoe on his car. Four that we know of said no and walked away. Two others disappeared from the beach. Months later, police found their remains along with those of several other young women. The Ted witnesses described was shown in posters, but in the beginning, Bundy was not a suspect. He says police were looking for a criminal type, not a clean-cut law student like himself. They get hundreds upon hundreds of leads. Which one are they going to pick? The law student with no criminal background, or are they going to, you know, go after the, weird, you know, the real weirdos? Although Bundy has never admitted. Now we're going to listen to some conversations with the killer. We're going to listen to Ted Bundy's be asked questions and speak. In this cell, but not while our cameras were there. <clears throat> Bundy talks about how simple fantasies can set the stage for a horrible reality. You would be uh, in society viewing 
and being exposed to the television ads and the girly magazines and you know, the, the women in hot pants on the streets and all these things that, that tended to nurture his condition, exacerbated, agitated. He enjoyed reading girly books, he soft uh, uh, pornography, that sort of thing. In his case, however, rather than being simply attracted Stephen Michelle was one of the two authors who interviewed Bundy. It began a process whereby fantasies developed. And the fantasies were at first very, very crude and unformed kinds of uneasiness or whatever that could not be satisfied by simply looking at a naked woman. It's another step to visualize that beautiful woman as being the victim of some kind of violent activity. What's not being recognized is that slowly, imperceptibly again, that the very basic inhibitions about engaging in this kind of conduct are being eroded. Those fantasies almost become real. Dr. Al Carlisle, Bundy's psychologist at the Utah State Prison. The person doesn't go out to murder someone that particular night, but the opportunity comes up, say a rape occurs, and then the killing occurs after that. And now the person has, to a degree, fulfilled that fantasy. The fantasy was grotesque. It included a desire to possess a lifeless body. Example, he lured a young woman from this tavern to his apartment and then seduced her. After the first sexual encounter, gradually his, his sexual desire builds back up and joins those other unfulfilled desires and uh, wanting to fulfill this other need to totally possess her as it were as she lay there because you know he strangled her there as untroubled as he was by the strangling bundy was just as casual about not removing the body there wouldn't be uh, an urgency since uh, she was in a place which was private which was this man's uh, house just leave her in the bed put her in a closet and no one's coming in the actual murdering itself was not what he was after. You have a two, you have a two-part thrill, if you will: the hunt, the, the fantasy hunt, right? The possession of the girl, and then the enactment of the fantasy with the lifeless body over hours or days until she has to be disposed of. Another series of violent crimes began after. Another series of violent crimes began after Bundy moved to Salt Lake City to attend his second law school. Once more, young women were involved, this time in Utah and Colorado. Again, they were murdered, or they vanished, and one was kidnapped, but she got away. Bundy was sentenced on the kidnapping charge. After that, he was transferred to Colorado to face trial for murder. I met him there. Do you ever think when you're in that cell about the possibility that you could one day face a firing squad? They don't have firing squads in Colorado, and I don't think that in any event uh, that I, I ever think, I don't think about it, honest to God. He said to me, where would a person be most likely to be executed in the United States if they committed a uh, heinous crime? And at the time, I didn't think there would be any reason for him to ask that other than interest. Attorney John Henry Brown, a Bundy friend. I said Florida because the Florida death penalty statute had just been upheld by the United States Supreme Court. 
Not long after that conversation, Bundy climbed through the jail's ventilator shaft and escaped. But why, after learning that Florida would be the first to reimpose capital punishment, would he travel to Tallahassee, the state's capital, and two weeks later go on a homicidal binge? One theory is that extreme risks produce extreme thrills. Psychologists tell me that they have to heighten the excitement, and so you expose yourself to greater danger and move on to the next stage, which is more elevated in danger. And, uh, you know, if it happens to be a thing of homicide, then, then Florida would be the stage of greatest danger. Bundy says confinement in prison increases the craving for violence. We could conclude that if this person uh, was forced to forego gratifying his needs for extended period of time, that need would only become stronger and become more demanding and force this individual to act less deliberately and more uh, rashly. Tallahassee, 1978. Bundy invaded a sorority house like a rabid animal, attacking one young woman as she slept, raping her viciously, biting her, and clubbing her to death. In another room, he clubbed one woman on the head and face, then turned on her roommate. Both survived. He moved on to another room and beat and strangled the woman, the second bloody killing in the house. Bundy, who was convicted of these murders, had been examined by mental health professionals in Utah and Florida. They found he was not medically or legally crazy. As he wrote at the bottom of this evaluation, nor will I ever be. In all his court cases, Bundy has never pleaded that he was insane. Nor has he ever said he was sorry, even when, acting as his own attorney, he summoned one of the women he had attacked to jail for a deposition. Kara Chandler didn't get the chance to ask her own questions. I mean, I would like to ask him why. Um, what, what makes a person do something like that? What, what makes a person that's so smart and has so much do something like that? There's nothing in my background, I swear to God, and I know it, but there's nothing in my background. No one factor or collection of factors which would explain would otherwise lead one to believe that I was capable of murder. Mind you folks, that was Ted Bundy's second escape. He lost weight purposely to go through the vent in the ceiling before he went on that vicious rampage in Tallahassee, Florida, at Florida State University. Nicola, Florida, in 1978, police officer David Lee saw an orange Volkswagen leaving the parking lot of a closed restaurant. Because the car had no reason to be there, he ran a check on the tags. He discovered it was stolen. The driver tried to flee the scene. After a chase and a struggle, he was apprehended. Police found stolen credit cards and several fake IDs in the car. The driver was taken in for questioning. The man flashed a student ID, but police determined that it, too, was stolen. After two days in custody, he finally decided to tell police his real name, Theodore Robert Bundy. At first, the Pensacola police had no reaction. They had no idea who Ted Bundy was. But they'd soon find out that his name had just been added to the FBI's 10 most wanted list. He was suspected of killing three dozen young women in at least four western states. His lackluster arrest in Florida was the beginning of the end.
for the most notorious serial killer in history, who may have murdered over 40 women in 16 years. Ultimately, forensics would tie him to his crimes. In the process, the study of his murders would help spawn a whole new field of forensic psychology, a science that tries to understand how serial killers are created and what we can do to stop them. William Hagmeyer of the FBI's Behavioral Sciences Unit in Quantico, Virginia, interviewed Bundy in prison. He was probably the most efficient killing machine that we've seen amongst the serial murderers that we've studied. Uh, with his ability to articulate how he made certain choices, why he let certain people live and die, he's become a standard by which other serial killers are measured. So enormous were Bundy's crimes that they defied traditional crime-solving tactics. It wasn't until after he was caught that the pieces began to come together. So Bundy escapes from the Colorado prison where he's awaiting murder charges, or mur trial for murder. He escapes, he goes to Florida, goes in the sorority house, attacks these women, and this is January 7th, 1978. Bundy killed at least 30 women. Speculated many more. He was executed in 1989. And I remember my mother saying that he was handsome. He was very charismatic. And I thought when I saw him, I remember thinking, what a creep. Why does he have a unibrow? But that's my opinion. Um, Bundy was a piece of shit as far as I'm concerned. And I'm glad he's dead. Tune in next week, folks, to Stories of a Serial Killer as we profile the son of Sam. Shall be interesting. See you next Sunday.